get into the minds of the most influential and successful creatives on the planet. From EDM record labels, club owners, EDM event producers, music industry lawyers, managers, EDM recording artists, and key industry leaders, they are all part of the story when the DJ takes the stage. They push more than buttons. For everything you need to know about the EDM dance music scene, you need this podcast right now. Welcome to the Mastermind of a DJ podcast, hosted by Naughty Natalia. Hey, it's episode number nine of the Mastermind of a DJ podcast, which is brought to you by the powerhouse of EDM adult entertainment nightclub experiences, Vixen's Cabaret in Davie, Florida. It's your naughty girl, Natalia. And since my show is about successful creatives in the EDM industry, that includes the people that work behind the scenes to make your experiences happen. So if you're looking to become successful in the hospitality nightclub industry, this really is a show for you. Now, throughout my 25 years in broadcasting, I've had the opportunity to meet some very interesting people like my next guest. Now, let me take you back circa 2002. The location, downtown Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And I had just started my weekly live broadcast on Party 93.1 FM at a venue called Voodoo Lounge. Now, the sounds coming out of the DJ booth, of course, they were provided by Party 93.1's DJ Raul Rock the House and then I had Kate OK. I was a very lucky girl uh, as I broadcasted live on the air. And as the place was super packed as it was on their Wednesday nights, in the thick of it all was this smiling, bald-headed Greek guy who was escorting the herds of ladies to the VIP tables. I mean, he's high-fiving his buddies along the way. Then it was like back to the bar where the sexiest bartenders of South Florida were pouring the liquid candy. And just like magic, my next guest, along with the next herd of ladies, all had shots in their hands going bananas. I think I'm painting a good picture for you guys to imagine. Now, he still has got that kind of pool and influence today, but it's on a whole other different level. And I had to interview this next guest because he's not only mastered the art of hospitality, but he's ended up owning several venues and restaurants. And he's such an entrepreneur and major influencer that other restaurants have him on their menus. And now he's even created his own beer that you can find in local South Florida bars, restaurants, and venues. So of course, to get with this next successful creative, we first needed to eat. We had to enjoy some mezcal and try not to laugh while we were doing this interview because why he is a character. Let's get into the mind of Alex Pasakos. So uh, with me right now is Alex Pasakos, and uh, he is someone who has really made a name for himself in the South Florida area. Um, His story is incredible. He's someone that has created an environment for those to thrive in the hospitality industry, uh, very well respected among his peers, among business owners uh, in the Fort Lauderdale area, well, basically everywhere in South Florida. And uh, just sitting down and talking to you and, and, you know, we've known each other for 20 years. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) What are you laughing for? (laughs) The way you're holding that mic is so great. But Al, Alex, you you have uh, come a long way, and Thank we're you. gonna for those that are listening to this right now. 
uh, who are looking to aspire to become uh, business owners uh, in the hospitality industry, specifically nightclubs. I understand you have a new venue that's opening up as well, yes. and we're going to talk about that, okay. uh, which I'm really excited about. I was seeing the the Facebook post that you had, which was like great. And let's talk about who you are. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I was seeing if they were bringing the Coca-Cola. Are they bringing the Coca-Cola? No, it's not on its way. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> it's like legit we're waiting for our Coca-Colas. We had our Chinese food. We ordered soda, and it did not show up. We had water. With we Chinese had water. Food. I like mean, peasant. Where, you, where are you from? Where were you born, Alex? Okay. I'm a first-generation Greek, mm-hmm. born in Buffalo, New York. Um, got a little sister. She's married, has three kids, mm-hmm. and uh, basically migrated down here when I was two years old and been here since. Really? Yeah. And your parents, so why, why did they come to the States? They had, uh, my mom's sister moved here mm-hmm. and my mom and my dad followed them over here. Mm-hmm. And my dad came over here, started being a, I think he was a painter when he first came to the country. Wow. And then they came down here and they opened restaurants and that's how I learned to be in the hospitality industry from there. Wow. Yeah. yeah so we were talking about that. Your story is very similar to Ivano Bellini, um, which we've played earlier in the uh, at previous episodes for Mastermind of a DJ. It, it really comes from the upbringing but you, but it also comes from people that uh, and we've we've talked about mentors and we're going to get into that later on in the uh, interview. But you are such a genuine soul, Thank Alex. You. Thank when you very much. You have created Booze Garden. You have created um, you have the, the Red Monkey parties. You have the Rubber Ducky parties. You have oh my god! I mean, it's just a long list of great events that people come to. They know what to expect when they go. You have a, a fellowship and followership of brothers and sisters in the in the hospitality industry that will do whatever they can to Thank support you. you. When your parents came here and then you grew up in that hospitality, you know, in the in the restaurant business, did you ever think you'd end up in the position that you're in now? Absolutely not. I thought I was going to follow their steps and be in the restaurant business. Mm. But uh, going back to what you said about uh, what we've done with Red Monkey, with Booze Garden yeah. and that stuff, I wish I could take all the credit. Unfortunately, I can't. Mm. I've been blessed to have good partners in every one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, Red Monkey was a Johnny Adler creation that he brought me in on and I was beyond proud to be a part of that mm-hmm. uh, process. Booze Garden, I have two amazing partners, Risty and Richie, that without those two guys, it wouldn't be as successful as it is. So yeah, I've been awesome. very lucky that in my successes, I had very, very good partners that helped me get there. So growing up here in South Florida, right? Right, in Fort Lauderdale. Fort, been Lauderdale. Fort Lauderdale my whole life. Yeah. Which is why I don't really have anything uh, to do with Miami these days. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. And so you, so your family's growing up here. You, they're opening restaurants and stuff like that. What kind of food were they serving there? Uh, it was a Greek diner. How typical. Mm, so, yeah. you know, basic diner food, it ranged from omelets to gyros to steak, pretty much anything you could think of. It's on the menu. That's how Greeks are. What's one of the favorite things that they make? Uh, I love the lemon potatoes, as, mean, as everybody knows. If, right. That, has been on any of my social media. It's one of my <laughs> obsessions is to make lemon potatoes all the time. Oh, and uh, obviously the, the the classics, the souvlaki, the, the the desserts are amazing. Got like the budoko, baklava, all that stuff. Right. To me, it's I know it's I'm biased, but Greek food is to me the best food on the planet. It really is, yeah, right? It is. I, it really is. And so your brothers and sisters, let's talk about family. And are they in the same industry or? I have a little sister that went the, the exact opposite route. She's a teacher. Hmm. married, uh, three children, amazing husband. Uh, her oldest is a, Isabella, my niece, mm-hmm. 
my godchild. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, she has two boys, Carlos and Alex, that she named one of the boys after me. <laughs> so that kid is doomed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, uh, you were talking about your grandfather, right? How you my were named after him. Yeah, I'm yeah. looking at the picture now. We'll, we'll, uh, if you want, we can post that picture too. Absolutely. That is so awesome. I thank feel you. like he's staring down at me right now, making sure I do a good job. No, he's checking you out. Yeah, I, uh, thank you, Alex. <laughs> Near him. All right, continue. <laughs> okay. Um, so no, she, uh, school teacher, married with the kids. She did the whole, uh, what, what my parents expected of me, my sister did. And I went in an opposite direction. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did they give you a hard time uh, going in that direction? Initially, yes. Because they're like, at some point you got to grow up. You can't, you know, make a career out of going clubbing and going bar hopping. Mm -hmm. And they were right. I mean, I couldn't do this as a promoter and make a career out of it. You could, but you have to go to the next level. You have to start doing events. You have to start doing huge concerts and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Luckily, mm -hmm. I was able to go in a different direction and actually open up brick and mortar businesses mm -hmm. that luckily a couple of them have done well, thank God. So they've come around. It's the, they're, they're proud of me. They tell me they're proud of me. One of the things that they tell me all the time that has an influence is they tell me they love me. And hearing my parents tell me they love me and they're proud of me, probably the best feeling in the world. Wow, I can feel that. Thanks. Wow, I can feel that right now. Wow. That's the mezcal you did earlier. <laughs> I know that mezcal tequila we had was fantastic. Let's talk about what your parents would say about you. What would you say your parents, how would they describe what it is that you you do? It's a good question. I've never thought of that. <laughs> you didn't give me a heads up. You can ask Sorry. that either. Um, yeah. well, if my parents had to describe what I do, they basically would just say that I run bars, run businesses, and my job is, and it is my description, is just to party with friends and have a good time, which I'm blessed to be able to do. I mean, it's... Mm -hmm. How many people can say that their living is made by hanging out and partying and drinking with their friends? Yeah. You know, it, obviously it's a cliche. Everybody says it. If uh, find something you enjoy doing, figure out a way to get paid to do it and you never work a day in your life. Right. That's kind of what we're doing. Right. You know. and, and, you know, and there is that whole business side to it. You know, I mean, you have the social side and you enjoy yourself and, and you and I both come from that fabric of understanding how to entertain people. But in the background, we, we definitely have to keep that eye. We have to make sure that we're doing our job, right? Of course. What a lot of people don't see is what goes into the presentation. Like all the work that happens from like a Sunday to Thursday to open those doors on a Friday. Yeah. It's the, the meetings, the, the, the strategies, the marketing, the, the staffing, the ordering. It's like there's a million things that go into one night of opening a business. Do you feel that you learned that strategy from witnessing what your parents were doing in the restaurant business? Oh, absolutely. Were you seeing that? I mean, because you were obviously exposed to those habits and the way how your father would treat his staff right. and, and all of that. I mean, let, let's dive into that. To give you an idea, one of my first jobs, if not my first job, was working for my dad at the restaurant. Right. I walked in the door, dressed to a T, <laughs> you know, thinking, oh, look at me. I'm the owner's son. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to run the place. Mm -hmm. I got there. I go to my dad. All right, I'm ready to work. He threw an apron in my face and said, get in the kitchen and start washing dishes. What? I was like, what, what are you talking about? I'm your son. I'm, 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 you're the owner. What am I washing dishes for? Made me wash dishes for about a month. Mm -hmm. Got to the point where I was a beast at washing dishes. <laughs> I, I can brag about it. I was a monster. Uh, like we had X amount of space to stack the plates and we didn't have enough space because everything was so clean so fast. Yeah. After that, he's like, all right, you're done being a dishwasher. Mm -hmm. I'm like, awesome, good. Now I can be the boss. He goes, now you're the cashier. Mm. What do you mean I'm a cashier? I'm going to sit here and push buttons? Yes. Did that for a month. After that, I was the busboy. Then I was a waiter. Then I was the floor manager. And I'm like, why are you making me do all these things? He said, because if somebody walks out of your door, say your cook in the middle of a shift decides he wants to leave and walks out the door, are you going to lock it and close for the day? Or are you going to jump behind the grill and you're going to finish the shift? Wow. Yeah. Right on. So I learned that and I use that. I incorporate that into pretty much everything I've done, not just in business, but in general life. Right. That is such a great quality. Absolutely. That, I, I took that from my, my father and actually my uncle. I was lucky enough to have two father figures by my life growing up. My father... And my mm -hmm. mother's brother who lived here too. 
Really? Yep. See, these are things that I never knew about you, Alex. Right. And we've known each other for what? What, 20 years now? Really? That's it? That's <laughs> it. <laughs> I mean, we're not that old, you no, know? It feels longer, but in a good way. How old were you when you walked into your parents' restaurant and said, I'm ready to work? And then your dad just said, oh, hold on a second. I must have been 14, 15 years old. Hmm. I have to, actually, no. I take that back. I was driving, so I had to be 16 at the time. Okay. So I was 16 years old. It was my second job because my first job was at the Police Benevolent Association. Oh. I worked on the phones, raising money. I was the annoying kid that called you and said, mm. I need your pledge, and I would send you a sticker to show you that you supported the PBA and you stuck it on your window, and you hoped if the cops got called, they'd be nice to you because of it. All for how much? It was <laughs> at it the time? varied. It was five, up 5 to 20. If you were a silver booster, it was 50, and you got a silver license plate. Oh. And if it was 100, you're a gold booster and you got a gold license plate you could put on your car. How, how did you get that job? I mean, because um, I mean, that's like, it's almost kind of like telemarketing, right? It, 100%, I mean, it, 100%, telemarketing. 100%. Okay. I sat at the desk. We had leads as any telemarketing job has. I don't know why I'm doing air quotes because nobody can see me right now. <laughs> we had leads. <laughs> it's okay. And uh, feel free to leave that yeah, in. <laughs> I don't okay. mind that being left. <laughs> and when the leads got burned, like, leads are expensive. If any person that works in sales will tell you, the most expensive part of the running that operation is getting leads, quality leads. Right. In life insurance, which I did, getting one good lead sometimes costs up the word of $50, $60. And that's maybe if they'll buy the product. So imagine you got 10 leads at 50 each and nobody buys, you just lost 500 bucks. Wow. So when the leads would run out at the telemarketing company, they would grab a phone book and say, start going down the list. So we had the cold call starting at A, whatever, all mm-hmm. the way down the list. And we'd mark it off with a pen as we called them. What? And, you know, you, these people have no idea who you are. They don't know why you're calling them. They've never signed up to be on this calling list. So the thing I learned there was if you could sell to somebody, if you can get somebody to send you money that had no idea you were calling them, you can incorporate that in pretty much anything you do. That's what I learned in radio mm-hmm. um, during my prime time in radio was how do you get someone to get up and go? Granted, I had my live broadcast set off the hookah and voodoo right. and all that, right? But it's it's getting people to uh, convert. You have to make a conversion. Right. It has right. to be a, a sale. How were you able to get over that hump? Because um, I'm sure you had a lot of hangups and stuff like that, oh, right? Oh, God, yeah. I, I, the people that never met my mother said a lot of choice things about her. So, oh, wow. Yeah, you got a lot of cursing. I mean, here I am, a 14, 15-year-old kid, whatever I was. Uh, the best way I did it, and it took a while to get to this thing, is I threw away the script. If you're reading on a phone, people can tell you're reading. But if you're speaking and you're, you're talking normal, they're more receptive to listen to you. So I, the, the crazy part is it's been over two decades, almost, Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. over three decades. <laughs> and I still remember the pitch. Really? I'm not going to recite it now, but I still remember it. <laughs> so to be able to make that conversion is so super important. But you took that, again, these are all those life lessons that helped you become the success that you are today. Right. And it's that habitual behavior that you carry as an entrepreneur, um, carrying all those tidbits of gems Right? Of experiences. Like one of the big things that our old boss drummed Mm -hmm. in my head, every no is one call closer to the yes. Oh, yeah. So if you got 20 calls behind you, that next one might be the yes. Oh, 20 more. Keep going. You're going to get to the yes eventually. It's drummed in my head. So don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Keep going. And that can be applied to anything in life. As you're getting to know more about Alex, you can tell he is a devoted son, had a humbling start in the restaurant business with his father, and worked in telemarketing. We haven't even touched the surface of what his life is like now. And I know, and I'm actually glad that we haven't yet, because I think those previous life experiences are what shaped him into being the powerful businessman that he is today. Now, when you have the gift of gab, that's how you win in marketing and selling your brand. And Alex knows exactly exactly how to do that. Now, after the break, we get into the super juicy entrepreneurial stuff. 
Yeah, like how did he make an AOL business site into being exactly what downtown Fort Lauderdale needed to be put on the nightclub industry map? Stay with us. More to come. Get into the minds. Mastermind of a DJ podcast with Nani Natalia will return after this. Vixen's Cabaret is leading the way in creating unforgettable nightclub experiences in the Broward County area. Only minutes from the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino and downtown Fort Lauderdale at 3050 Burst Road, Davie, Florida, baby. That's where you gotta be. It's Naughty Natalia. And at Vixen's Cabaret, they have broken the barrier. Better yet, broken the stigma of adult entertainment by booking some of the biggest names in the EDM industry. From Marcus Schultz, Damaged Goods, Lavelle Dupree, Mr. Gray, DJ Zog, DJ Laz and so much more. And when you walk in, look up and get taken away by the jaw-dropping live aerial acrobatic entertainment provided by the Sexy Circus. Get lit up by the live fire shows and more while listening to your favorite EDM beats. It's truly an unforgettable nightclub experience. Hands down. Now their event schedule is massive like on December 3rd and 4th. We have DJ Mr. Gray providing the beats for their two-day launch event, introducing their sexy Circus and later in December they have booked a DJ so massive I was sworn to secrecy. The good thing is I get to interview that DJ on my show so we'll keep you posted. In the meantime listen to the end of the podcast to find out who the next big name DJ will be performing at Vixen's Cabaret. Welcome back to the Mastermind of a DJ podcast with your host Naughty Natalia. All right, let's talk about how old you were when you realized you had a calling in what you are successful in now. All right. Um, my first job in the industry wasn't really a job. I was hanging out downtown, probably 1992, I think it was. Okay. I'd, maybe 93. I'd just gone through a bad breakup and I was going out all the time. And while I was doing it, I would run into a buddy of mine constantly, one of my friends from high school. We started going out every day, seven nights a week. And I was working a day job at the time and I was balancing both. Right. And I would go to work exhausted, but I would go out that night and I was having the time of my life with my buddy. Yeah. So we were going out so often that people thought we worked in the industry. And at the time there was no, it was the, the internet was new. AOL was around. We were yeah. using AOL chat rooms to meet people. <laughs> Funny wow. story. Without AOL, I wouldn't be in this business right now. So at the time we were going out all the time and South Beach was blowing up. It was like South Beach was where everybody would go. Fort Lauderdale really didn't have a nightlife. We had a few clubs like Krakos, Bajas, Roxy's, Rosebuds, mm-hmm. Confetti's, Crickets. You remember all yeah, those? Yeah, I remember. Yeah. But it wasn't what South Beach was. Like South Beach had magazines about their nightlife, all this stuff. There was mm-hmm. nothing that told people what to do in Fort Lauderdale. So we decided let's do something for Fort Lauderdale. And we created Broward Hotspots. That's right. You remember that? <gasps> oh, my God. You forgot about that? Yeah, I forgot about that. And okay, go on. I'm th- sorry. That's all right. No, it's okay. That's, I love that reaction. <laughs> that's awesome. And then we later renamed We sold uh, Broward Hotspots. We renamed it to 95south.com. Yeah. And the way we, the reason why we did uh, the website mm-hmm. is because we couldn't afford to do a magazine. Magazine was our first choice. But mm-hmm. then we're like, hey, this internet thing seems easy. Let's do it. So me and Tommy and we had a buddy named Kenny that was our uh, web designer, mm-hmm. built a web page. And all we did was basically say, these are the clubs to go to on these nights. It wasn't like it is now where you can't go five feet without finding a bar or a restaurant or a, a nightclub rather. Right. Back then, 
people would say, what's good tonight? And that's where you'd go. It would be one club and everybody would go to that one club that night. Each club had its own night that was good. Mm. So certain clubs would be great Thursday. Other, another club was great Friday, then Saturday. So by going to the website, we told you which club was good that night. Then we started posting pictures from those clubs. Then somehow it got really, really popular where we were getting over 100,000 unique hits a day. What? And I, well, I know what it was. We yeah. had wet t-shirt contest pictures back then. Uh, did I host that? Probably. You might have with Wally yeah. at uh, Krakos and then Bob. Oh my God. Wally the Big Show. I love that <laughs> yeah, guy. That guy right. was amazing. <laughs> so we did wet t-shirt contest and we did a hot body contest also at Voodoo with Daisy. Daisy right. Deadpedals. Da- yes. Come on. I love yeah. her. Yeah, I got to give love to uh, love Daisy. My, love my Daisy. Mm-hmm. So those photos... I guess all the perverts around the world would go to the website and it created the site to gain traffic. Mm -hmm. And from there, it was kind of a springboard into the industry. I never knew this story. No? Actually, I don't think I've really shared it with many people. So now I'm sharing it with a couple million, hopefully. Wow, yeah, no, no, for sure. Alex, this is incredible. So how did you know, or so you guys just said, you just kind of rolled into it with Broward Hotspots. How did you know to create the business model for it? We winged it. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. And the thing is, Iguana Cantina in the now gone Riverfront, which is uh, Society in the Wharf. Right. That was the first club I quote unquote worked at. We didn't get paid to be there, but we knew all the staff. The manager was a guy named Mike Levine, amazing guy. Mm -hmm one of the best managers I've ever watched in the business. Mm-hmm. And we got to know all the bartenders, all the DJs, all the door staff, everybody. And you know how it is with clubs and bars. There's a drop off. Like people work there a few months, leave, new people come in. Right. There's a turnover. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. And during all this turnover, the only constant was me and Tommy. So all the people that worked there thought that me and Tommy were somebody important and would come to ask us questions. <laughs> you know, we'd be like, hey, that guy's got to go. He harassed that girl. They'd kick him out without questioning us or anything. It was like, wow. so that was our first job, non-job, and we got paid pretty much in free drinks. And we were thrilled with it because, you know, for us, free yeah. drinks as 21-year-old kids was amazing. Yeah, right. After we went to Cantina, we kind of had the same uh, deal going on with Voodoo Lounge where we'd go in, we'd promo, and then, you know, Wendy, which mm-hmm. Wendy from Voodoo is one of my favorite humans alive. Oh, yeah, mine too. Yeah, love her with all my heart. And yeah. I definitely would not be sitting here right now doing this interview if it wasn't for Wendy in my life. Yeah. So I give her all the credit in the world. She deserves we'll it. We'll make sure she gets this audio. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, Voodoo Lounge, I worked there, quote unquote, worked there because you know, we did a lot of hosting, did a lot of marketing promo and stuff. Right. And then my first real paid job in this industry was Passion Nightclub. Mm. And I started as a promoter, ended up uh, being a doorman, then a manager, mm-hmm. left there, managed a few other places off the hookah with Ehab, mm-hmm. who's one of my you know best friends to this day. And then from there, it just uh, jumped into different opportunities to be partners in businesses. So um, so for those listeners that are, are brand new and don't know who Alex Pasakos is, and you know, we're talking about- we're what, talking what are you laughing for? <laughs> the way you're holding the mic. <laughs> I've been holding it like this the whole time. I know you have. <laughs> there is never a dull moment with Alex. Oh my God. But these places that you are talking about from Voodoo Lounge, Caracos, Iguanas, South Florida staples. Right. For sure. Definitely landmarks. And you guys really did bring that to light along with these business owners like Wendy and all them who wanted to bring that nightlife element that you could find in South Beach and bring that to Fort Lauderdale. And that was super important for dance music, super important for the scene. When Voodoo opened... Everybody in Fort Lauderdale, Broward said it'll never work. Nobody comes to Broward to go to a bottle club. I heard that over and over. Nobody's going to buy a bottle in Fort Lauderdale. Everybody knows you got to go to South Beach to buy a bottle. Yeah. The minute they opened their door, they had an hour long line to get in the place. Voodoo Lounge changed the whole landscape of nightlife in Fort Lauderdale. Before that, it was bars. Mm. Bars with dance floors, like Iguana Catino was huge. Right. But it wasn't a bottle place. Voodoo Lounge 
made Fort Lauderdale a place people will go to buy a bottle. Before that, it wasn't it was unheard of. You're part of the South Florida nightclub history, like really the the involvement of of what these people were doing in in South Beach. Now they're able to do it here, and and that especially worked for those in West Palm Beach, right? Because they right. would normally drive down to South Beach, but now they have Fort Lauderdale as a stop, as a place to go to, to have a similar experience. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we were just basically known for the beaches back then, for right. Lauderdale Beach. That's it. I was lucky enough to witness the transformation. I got to watch it happen, and it's amazing what happened to that. I mean, we got the hard rock now, yeah. you know, billion-dollar nightclubs over there. It's it's amazing how different it is now than it was 20 years ago. And speaking of hard rock, you, know, you did mention Passion Nightclub, and Passion was in the hard rock uh, hotel and casino area. And there was a, a, a cluster of different clubs and right. restaurants, uh, which they now, you know, for those that want to reference it, now if you go online to the Hard Rock Hotel in Hollywood, you'll see the Guitar Hotel, but that's where Passion and Griffin and Pangea and all those uh, locations were before. Oh, yeah. And we were part of that whole history. That was probably one of the funnest times of my life. Huh. At Passion Nightclub, um, there's like, I could name four times in the industry that mm -hmm. I could that stand out above the rest. It's been a, an amazing ride the whole time. Like it's from day one to now, I have had a blast. But Passion Nightclub, what we experienced with that whole outdoor complex that you yeah, mentioned. Yeah, that's right. I mean, if you think about it, every Friday and Saturday, there was like thousands of people there, all dressed to the tea, all having a great time. Very minimal bad incidents would happen there. That's right. It was just a fun atmosphere. It was a great time. I was, I'm very lucky to have been a part of that one. Yeah. And you said that was your first like official paying job and, you know, just based off of your network and what you were able to bring to the table. How long did that whole uh, experience last for you? Uh, Passion Nightclub, it's probably on and off maybe 10, 12 years. Yeah. At the time, I was working at a pharmaceutical company. I was a sales rep. Okay. So, you know, that's basically all I did was phone sales up until my first paying job at Passion. Uh -huh. I was working for a pharmaceutical company. I did nine years there, made amazing friends that I'm still talking to to this day. I just got burnt out. I got to the point, I was making great money. I was making almost six figures working mm -hmm. noon to 8 p.m. It was, it was, you know, not a hard job, but sitting at a desk all day just took its toll on me. I just, it wasn't fun. I wasn't, I felt like I was limiting the experiences in my life by just sitting at a desk. I threw a part, I met the owner, one of the owners of Passion while I was at Voodoo Lounge. Actually, I'll tell the story. It's pretty funny. Yeah, please tell, share the story. This is great. At, at the time I was doing Broward Hotspots. All of our marketing was done in AOL chat rooms. <laughs> For our younger readers, that's so incredible. AOL was the way to get online, and you had to use a dial-up modem, which, which used your landline. A landline is a phone that was hooked up to your house, I know. and you couldn't take with you. I'll get into rotary phones later. Um, the hashtag was a pound sign that was on the phones before there was a hashtag. That's right. Think about it. It was called the pound sign. Yeah. So um, I would go to different chat rooms, and in my profile, I had nightclub promoter, and I listed all the cities in Fort Lauderdale and what bars and clubs I worked with, as well as the web website, Broward Hotspots. So one day I get a message from somebody asking me if I work in the nightlife industry. I'm like, yeah. He tells me I'm going to open up a club in Hard Rock. I'm like, and I'm like, <laughs> I hear this all the time. People come to me and they're like, I'm going to open this, this and that. I didn't know the kid. I go, listen to me. If you're going to open up something in Hard Rock or if you have the opportunity to open up, if you don't take it, give me their phone number. I'll take it. Right. I go, it's going to be successful. It's going to be a beast. At the time, there was only two places that were good, Riverfront and Beach Place. Yes. And if you remember, it would the hot spot would go back and forth every like six months. So for six months, downtown was hot. Then six months would be beach place. People got tired of those two places. I go, South Florida's itching for something new. The hard rock is going to be amazing. He ended up doing it. He totally said it was you know the best decision in his life. So without AOL, without having that damn profile, I wouldn't have had the success I have now because he messaged me. He told me about it. We start, we get to talking and he tells me him and his partner are coming down. They want to scope out the clubs. He asked me where I was working at the time. I told him I'm not working, but I'm, I'm at Voodoo Lounge all the time. Right. So he tells me he's 
going to come out to check the place out. You know, they're scoping the competition. I'm like, that's cool. Mm-hmm. So I put them on the guest list. At the time, there was no such thing as a guest list. That's another thing I'll talk about after this. Oh. This was pre-guest list days. Yeah. So I'll oh, tell you about that. Back list. then, to get on a guest list, mm-hmm. you had to be a personal friend of an owner, mm-hmm. a personal friend of the manager, or a personal friend of the DJ that was booked that night. They didn't have, there was no guest list. Everybody paid the $20 cover to go in. Social media kind of ruined that, but you know, we'll get into that another time. <laughs> yeah, Because everybody's a promoter now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, I got 30 friends, so I'm yeah, a promoter. I'm a- <laughs> no dick. Anyway, <laughs> feel free to leave that in. I will uh, leave that in because that's so genuine. Yeah. So um, I put them on the guest list. It's a Wednesday night. It's the night that, uh, it was ladies night. And I think it was the night me and Daisy would do the wheel. Mm-hmm. And I say me and Daisy, though, it was Daisy. And I kind of weaseled my way onto the stage with her. So, of course. You know, I love her. She put up with a lot of shit for me. Oh, God. So I put them on the guest list and they got there early. They got there like 1030 or whatever. I normally didn't get there at about 11, 30, 12. So I'm sitting at home and a guy calls me and he's like, hey, they're not letting me in here. I go, why? He's like, I'm wearing sandals. I'm like, you want to open a nightclub and you show up to a nightclub in sandals? I go, you got a lot to learn. And he's like, they're $80 sandals. I go, yeah, and you're still outside. So he loved that too. And he, he was laughing. I didn't say it as a dick. Yeah. I was laughing when I said it and he laughed back. Right. And I asked him what size shoe he was. At the time I was living at home. Mm-hmm. Same size shoe as my father. So I said, stay there. I'll be there in 20 minutes. I grabbed a pair of my dad's loafers and I went downtown. I gave it to him. No. His partner looked at me and he goes, wait a minute, you don't know this guy. I go, no. He goes, you've never met him. I go, no. He goes, you've only talked to him one time when he just called you. I go, yeah. He goes, and you took shoes from your house and bought them for him to come in here. I go, yeah. He goes, come work for me. And I was like, whoa. I'm like, I appreciate it. I go, I have a good thing going here. If it doesn't work out, I'd love to come join you guys. Sure. A couple months later, there was a, we'll say a disagreement. Okay. I ended up leaving Voodoo. The person I had the disagreement with is one of my best friends. I love him to death. I'd give Mm -hmm. my kidney if he needed it. He's amazing. Yeah. I was young. I was cocky. I was stupid. I'll take majority, and by majority, I mean 90% of the blame for the fallout, but I ended up not being part of Voodoo anymore. I called up Passion. Uh, They had me come in and do a guest list. So I was doing a little guest list, getting paid uh, per head, you know, whatever it was, $3 per person back then. And oh my God, I got $80 this week. I'm rich. That's how I felt. So at the time I'm working in the pharmaceutical industry and I was doing Passion Friday, Saturday, got burnt out, finally said, I don't want to do this anymore. At the time I had just done my birthday party at Passion and it had over 400 people come up. Holy moly. At that time, promoting was new. It wasn't like, there were no big promoters in Broward at the time. So their promoters were averaging 10 people, 15 people a night. Mm-hmm. So when I did a party, I brought 400. They're like, whoa, what the hell? Mm-hmm. So I looked at it as an opportunity. I was like, listen, hire me full time. Right. I don't want to do my day job anymore. You know, I threw a number at him, which was relatively low, but for me, significant at the time. It was more enough to cover my expenses. And I was going to go from working 40 hours a week to working six hours a week, making almost the same money. Incredible. So Luckily, thank God, they agreed to it, brought me on board. I started as promo, then I became marketing, then I became their doorman, then the manager. Now I'm their partner, actually, at Booze Garden. The mm-hmm. owners of Passion own uh, Sway. Mm-hmm. Booze Garden's part of Sway, so I'm actually partners with the first people that gave me a paying job in the business. And it's full circle, too. 100%. Because Sway, Voodoo used to be Sway. Well, no, I'm no, sorry. Sway, used, sway to used to be Voodoo. And even crazier is um, when I had left Passion before, uh-huh. there was a manager we had a disagreement with, and I left Passion. Mm-hmm. I went to work it off the hookah. Off the hookah was on the other side of the train tracks, which is society now, where Wharf is. Okay. Back then, there was like a little uh, riverfront, had its own little entertainment thing going on there. There was uh, Lulu's Bait Shack, Dan Marino's, right. Hooters. Oh my God. Uh, Ugly Tuna. That's right. If you remember, Living Room. Living, living Room. room. Oh was amazing. my God. Maddie, uh, Mark, all those guys. Oh God. Christian, uh, that was a great time too. And Off the Hookah moved to where Voodoo was. That's Do right. Do you remember that? Yes. And then after Off the Hookah, it became Sin and then it became Sway. So the, the three people I worked with were all in the same building. I never even made that connection until you just said that. Full circle, darling. Absolutely. 
Full circle. And all that comes from all the karmic deposits you've made from uh, giving loafers to strangers. But that just only goes to show how kindness does go a long way. All right. So uh, let's talk about sacrificing. Virgins or what? What are we sacrificing? (laughs) Because you're not going to find any in South Florida. (laughs) Oh my God. Let's talk about what you've sacrificed besides your virginity. I'm saving that. I'm saving that for marriage. You are? Oh wow. I'm old fashioned. You are. (laughs) Let's talk about what you sacrificed to achieve success. This is a common uh, question that I do ask a lot of people in the industry because I know for myself and I can speak for myself and you know this for a fact. I also worked seven days a week. I was living out of my car. Uh, Not that I was poor. It was because I was constantly going from the radio station to an event to a live broadcast and this and that. And people didn't know that I sacrificed a lot of relationships. I realized that I could not have relationships in my industry. It's hard because in our industry, people say you can only date others in the industry, but two Mm -hmm. people in the industry is toxic. At times. It can be. So it's hard to find that balance. Mm-hmm. So a majority of successful relationships are with one person in the industry and one person out of it. Not saying it doesn't exist where two people in the industry right. aren't together and they're great together, mm-hmm. but from what I've witnessed and in my personal experience, my best relationships were with ones outside of the industry. Oh, yeah. why do you find that to be? Uh, the yin to the yang. The yin to the yang, yeah, right? They, they balance each other out. Right. Um, but to answer your question, what have I sacrificed? I, I've been thinking about it the whole time. Like, what the hell have I sacrificed? I, the easiest, simplest answer, sleep, brain cells, and my liver. Yeah. <laughs> Which you've played a tremendous amount of kickball with. Oh, God, my poor liver. I'd oh, like, your liver. If I could give it a gold Rolex, I would. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's So after the break, we talk about his social media page, which is something that I look forward to on the daily if I want to get a good laugh in. I mean, it really is pure comedy, but sheer brilliance in how Alex has managed to be able to be the king of all influencers without even really trying. His method is engaging because it's genuine and not pretentious, where you want to be part of the conversation all the time. And what's impressive is when he mentions something that he's doing, People legitimately go out of their way to share it on their threads and show up to support him wherever he's at. And I have to say, I totally respect that. Stay with us. Get into the minds. Mastermind of a DJ podcast with Nani Natalia will return after this. He's bold. He's bald. And he's beautiful. And knows how to quench your thirst. It's Naughty Natalia. And even though we're smack in the middle of our podcast with Alex Pasakos, let me tell you a thing or two about the beer that this Greek stud has created. It's called Holy Pasakos. It's a beer that chicks like me can totally enjoy. It's a beautifully balanced creation from start to finish, made in collaboration with one of our favorite South Florida locals, Alex Pasakos. What's cool about the artwork on the label is that it was created by another very talented South Floridian known as Nivia. 
the wild hippie. We love her. Now, this blonde ale is crisp, refreshing, and crushable. And the barley, water, and hops are carefully selected to deliver a perfectly balanced, handcrafted ale that keeps your palate quenched with an eager anticipation for the next sip. Man, I'm thirsty now. All right, so the next time you hit up your local dive bar, nightclub, or go on that next beer run, make sure you ask for this beer by name. It is Holy Pasacos, and I promise you, you'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Mastermind of a DJ podcast with your host, Naughty Natalia. What was the... (laughs) You like touching the tip, don't you? Just the tip. What... (laughs) This is Alex Pasakos, and those that <laughs> those that are fans of Alex Pasakos who follow him religiously, and I highly suggest that if you have not followed Alex Pasakos on his social media, get ready for comedy. You you are hilarious. You're like Thank also you. the shoe whisperer, and we'll oh, get God. into that later. I had to tone it down a lot. You it did. was a lot more out there, I'd say, seven, eight years ago, mm-hmm. but- you know, because of the way the world is now, I had to tone it down, but it's more, I'd say, uh, family friendly now than I don't it was. know how you find some of the things that you find on the street. Like, Oh, dude, it's, I people say, where do you see this stuff? And I'm like, I only post maybe 2% of the stuff I find. Mm. I did, not a single night goes by, I don't see a shoe on the floor. I mean, that's true. That not what I, multiple shoes a night. I've found breast chicken tenders, whatever they yeah, call chicken, chicken cutlets. Cut, cutlets? The chicken cutlets breasts. I found at least five or six of those in my time on the floor. How do you not realize you lost a titty? <laughs> I mean, that's not something that, oh, it's, I guess I must have not realized it. The, your brain, the way that you function, your brain is just hysterical. <laughs> and they follow along on your thread and they're like, and they just keep the comedy going. And you're oh. like, what? And But see, I think that that's what builds the relatability of who you are and how humble you are. And... You know, so this next question, I'm curious how you will answer that. I mean, I know you're like lying on the couch now, looking your barefoot right now, showing some legs. Sketch me like one of your I French am, girls. I, <laughs> I am. <laughs> like, how am I going to get through this interview? Another shot of mezcal? It's a, no, no, no. I can't. Come on, we're only like three deep right I now. know, I know, I can't. I can't. <clears throat> I have the gym in the morning. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I had to collect myself because that mezcal was kicking in. So I went in for some more, of course, and continued on with the interview. What was the defining moment when you realized that you had made it? You know, it's crazy. It's I don't feel I've reached it. I'm not there. Really? To me, I, I've been very successful. I've been very lucky, very blessed. I've achieved way more than I ever expected to achieve in my life. I don't quite feel I've made it yet. I feel like I'm close. I feel like it's there. I can almost see it, but I haven't cross that that hump yet. I'm not over that bridge yet. It's in view, but I'm not quite there. What is that What is that view? What is that definition of success for you then? To be honest, I don't know and I don't want to know because when I do achieve mm-hmm. it, I don't want to stop. I want to mm-hmm. constantly keep pushing. I want to keep challenging myself. I want to achieve a, another success. You know, it's like people are like, why does this person keep working and keep doing new things even though they're rich? Because they're not satisfied. They want to keep going. They're still hungry. Like I want to constantly want to do better, want to want to become more successful and want to achieve more in the time I am here. Right. That is fantastic. Thank you. What gives you that drive? Oh, I read it on a fortune cookie. You did? <laughs> Which, by the way, I took pictures of our fortune cookie. Did you? Cookie. Do you want to read them on the- I will. Thing? All right, here we go. Let's see. My fortune cookie was kind of like boring. It just said, you will achieve success this year. That's a good one, though. I hope That's that happens. Good. I ho- you know what? I hope it happens, too. It will. It will. And it is. It is. It is. And yours- will- Boxer briefs. <laughs> Oh my God. I'm not going to edit that out. Nope. Um, when, 
<laughs> and I know everyone on social media is going to start hashtagging boxer, boxer, boxer briefs. <laughs> they're so comfortable and, and they, they support. They support yeah, everything, don't they? They do. And the, the lotion areas. The lotion areas. <laughs> when you get so, this is your fortune cookie. When you, <laughs> I can't look at you. I, won't, I, look at you. I can't look at you. When you get something for nothing, you just haven't been billed for it yet. That's so true. It's true. Damn. That's uh. Hmm. You remember the old story about there's no such thing as a free meal. Yeah. Do you remember that? Antidote. Yeah. I'm not going to say it because I'm going to butcher it. It's destroyed. If you want to Google, there's no such thing as a free meal. Right. It gives you the antidote for uh, the secret of business or whatever it was. Okay. So basically, okay. A, a king told somebody, go out there and write me uh, the definition of uh, economics. So a guy comes back and goes, here's a, a report on what economics is. He's like, I'm too busy. I don't have time to read this. Consolidate mm-hmm. it. Comes back, brings a one sheet paper of it and goes, here it is. Here, I consolidated the one sheet. He goes, still too long. I can't read it. Consolidate it. Guy comes back later. He goes, here it is. I got it down to one paragraph. He's like, no, consolidate it more. Come back. Comes back with one sentence about economics. He's like, what is it? He said, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Because somebody paid for that lunch that you got for free. Damn. It makes sense. It makes sense. The person that got a free shot, that wasn't a free shot. And I'm doing air quotes like an asshole again. (laughs) There's no such thing as a free shot because the bar itself paid for that shot. The owner of the bar paid for that. Somebody paid for that shot that you took. There's no such thing as a free lunch. There's no, nothing's free in life. So that fortune cookie is very, very appropriate. I felt that in my bones. That's the Kung Pao. That's the Kung Pao, (laughs) whatever we ate. Okay. What do you think, uh, or what can you tell me that you think a successful creative means? To create something that is not there and for it to be successful is the ultimate achievement. You created something out of nothing, something that there's no blueprint. If I buy a franchise for like a burger spot, Mm -hmm. I, I'm not the successful creative. The person that created that burger place is a successful creative. Mm-hmm. I'm just capitalizing on it. So for me, to be a successful creative is like Booze Garden. My uh, business partners, one of them came up with the whole design. He came up with the grass on the floor, the video games, the basketball hoops, all that stuff. He was a successful creative there. One of my other partners, his brother, did all the decor. He did the 80s movies, the 90s movies, the video games, all the pop culture. I consider that a successful creative. Right. My contribution, besides the being the resident drunk that parties with everybody, <laughs> is, uh, and I'm very successfully creative at that, yeah. <laughs> was I was the one that said, let's go with uh, 80s, 90s, 2000 rock. And they were like, that won't work. And I'm like, what do you mean that won't work? Because originally our format was open format, until like two and then house until four. Right. Which is great. It's worked at a lot of venues I worked at. But I said, let's, you know, let's go 80, 90, 2000 rock. And they're like, no, nobody else does that. I'm like, that's why it'll work. Mm. They listened to me. Thank goodness. It worked out great. And that's the good thing about having multiple partners. You can bounce ideas off each other. Like uh, the name Booze Garden, we almost didn't go with that name. What was going to be the name <laughs> we of? We had a ton of different ones that we were voting on and none of them were great. We hated them all. Can and, you share some of them? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a few different names we kicked around. I can't think of any uh, off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. I'll send them to you when I do find the notebook that I wrote them in. Okay. But I remember one of my partners was sleeping at the time mm-hmm. and I was bouncing the name Booze Garden off my other partner and he liked it. And The name okay. Booze garden was just being bounced around um we had mentioned it one of my partners didn't like it and i still pick on him to this day and he laughs about it because he thought people would confuse it with the word boo b-o-o like that's my booze garden (laughs) and i'm like nobody's gonna (laughs) think like that and (laughs) and he was dead set against it he hated it and thank god this is one of those ones where me and richie Mm -hmm. oh oh, i just gave away who it was Ah, that's all right we um overruled them and we went with Booze Garden. It turned out to be one of the best names we could come up with. But what really put the icing on the cake was I was, it was probably two in the morning. I was online looking just for different dot coms that are available. Right. Boozegarden.com was available. Uh, mm-hmm. Booze Garden on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, 
every social media was available. I was like, how the hell is this name with all these millions of people around the world that come up with, you know, names for businesses? Nobody thought of Booze Garden because beer gardens are everywhere. Downtown uh, Filling Station, mm -hmm. uh, Downtown Beer Garden, like all these dumb names that we were coming up with. Filling Station is an amazing name, by the right. way. I love that name, but it wouldn't have worked for what we're doing. It's just, to me, right. it's, I threw the, the name to my partner yeah. and he loved it. We hit the other partner up. He was sleeping. We're like, all right, this is our name. Two out of three, you had to vote on it. So that's how we have he was guns. sleeping. So he lost his, his nap cost him, uh, you know, his vote, but it worked. It worked perfectly. Thank God. Yeah. You know, booze garden. I'm now forever going to think about my booze garden. That's my booze garden. That's my booze garden. That's not your garden. That's my, my booze, booze garden. garden. That's fantastic. Yes. What a great story. Thank you. A lot of people will benefit from hearing this Thank because you. they would they would not have known. Oh, see, if you want to pick a name, great. just sit online and see what's available. And make sure your partner is asleep. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about habits. What habits did you incorporate into your daily life that led you into failure, but also success? So let's talk about- Okay. Um, the, the funny part is ah. the first answer that pops in my head- Mm -hmm. what habits uh, contributed to my failure and my success. Yes. <laughs> and the, the main one that, that the honest answer is mm -hmm. drinking. Right. Drinking, a lot of my failures are because of, you know, the alcohol that comes with his business. Mm -hmm. But all of my success is attributed to the alcohol that comes in his business. So it's like- What a catch-22. Yeah. And I mean, it's, alcoholism is real. It's a terrible thing. If, you know, people listening to this have a problem with it, seek help. Call me, I'll help you. It's, right. it's, it's a bad thing. But if you could do it in moderation where it doesn't affect the rest of your life, yeah. it could be amazing. Yeah. It could be fun. It's like, you know, some of my best memories are times where alcohol is involved. Yeah. Some of, well, my, some of my worst ones. But <laughs> I, we were all there. Yes. You were there. You witnessed yeah. it. I witnessed <laughs> it. Oh my gosh. But, um, it, but it was just, in, it was in those moments that allowed you to uh, be more social. You were able to utilize your um, knack for hospitality and in, in creating the tribe. Of course. Uh, the tribe of people. I mean, literally, Alex, you, you say, go here, do this, go there, and people do it. And you even what? have names. Hold on. You even have recipes and, and food named after you. You have beer, a beer that you have that yes. you've just released. You're opening up a restaurant, right? I mean, not for nothing. I have, I've always admired that. Thank you. About you. Thank you. Um, to go back to where you started at. Yeah. Uh, when I say people go here, go there, and they go, it's, I won't endorse a place or a product unless it's something I'll personally enjoy and do. Like, I wouldn't tell you, hey, come to this bar on this night. It's amazing if I wouldn't be there that night and having a good time. Right. Who was it? Uh, Billy Mays. He mm -hmm. wouldn't endorse any product unless it's a product he used. Right. And I love that model. It's like, why? You, he didn't, you know, excuse my French, he didn't whore himself out. Right. He only pitched products he believed in. So if he says, if Billy May said, hey, this phone is amazing, I knew he meant it because he felt it was amazing. So if I tell somebody, come out this night, it's going to be a blast. They know, come out, it's going to be a blast. And for those aspiring promoters and those that want to create the kind of influence that, because to me, you're a real influencer. Thank you. You're not a poser. You're a real influencer. Thank you. Uh, for today's day and age, knowing that how we were brought up and what we went through, uh, where we didn't have social media and we actually had to talk to people, right? To, right. And create those friendships and those bonds. And, and there were a lot of late nights for today's day and age. And you are utterly successful today. What do you think these people need to do now to help them? Or what piece of advice can you give them to create that? Because um, that's, that's incredible. Thank you very much. Well, back then when we first started with the guest list, there was no social media. I couldn't make a post and reach thousands of people with that post. Everybody that was on my guest list was a person I either text personally, called personally, emailed or saw in person. You had to reach out to each individual or you could do a text blast, which I wasn't adamantly against them because I felt it was impersonal, mm. which 
made me stand out from a lot of the other promoters. Another promoter would send a text and it would it would look like an advertisement where I would text and say, hey, Natalia, I'm going to be at uh, Iguana Cantina Saturday. Can you make it? Yeah. That, that little personal touch. As far as the advice I'd give, the best advice I ever got and the best advice I could pass to anybody is two words. Mm. Stay humble. Mm. Stay humble. No matter how successful you are, don't become a dick. Don't be cocky. Don't be arrogant because the same people that supported you are going to turn on you when you turn like that. Like, uh, give you an example. When I was at Passion, I was working the, the VIP door. Those were some of the funnest times. Yeah. And there was two kids that used to come out there. They would sit out in front on the planters. And if they didn't find me, they would wait up to 45 minutes sometimes if I was inside dealing with a table. or So they would ask me, like, one day my coworker, she was like, why do you take care of these kids? They're so broke, they can't even pay the cover to come in here. And I was like, I'll tell you why. They sit on the step up to 45 minutes like they did today. They smile when they see me. They shake my hand. They ask me if I can get them in. And then they thank me after I do it. Instead of being like, hey, I've been out here for 45 minutes. Where the hell you been? They're like, dude, thank you so much. They appreciate the fact that I saved them $40 and let them in. I appreciated the fact that they appreciated it. Mm. Now, fast forward, I think it was maybe five, six years, I'm working at a different venue. Mm-hmm. The kid is in there. He sees me. He comes up to me. He goes, you work here now? I go, yes. He hands me his credit card. He goes, I want a table. Give me a four, I think it was $4,000. He goes, I'm going to spend, I don't know if he said he's going to spend it, but he ended up spending four grand that night. And I was like, what are you doing? He goes, you took care of me when I was nothing, when I had no money in my name. He goes, now it's my turn to reciprocate. So the, the moral is treat everybody good because you have no idea what they're going through and what they're going to be capable of later, who they're going to be, what they're, they're going to become. Right. You know, I'm, I was this little asshole promoter 20 years ago, and now I'm lucky enough to be part of some of the best nightclubs and bars down here. Right. So you never know what somebody's going to achieve in their time. And you don't know what they're going through at that moment. Maybe that guy was going through the worst time of his life and me letting him in the bar was the highlight of his life. Perfect example, Maya Angelou. She had the saying, which I love, and I always tell my friends, they might not remember what you said. They might not remember what you did, but they'll always remember how you made them feel. And this kid, you know, maybe half a decade later, still remembered it and spent $4,000 to show me his appreciation. And that's honor. Yeah, absolutely. That's the common denominator, isn't it? I think so. It's uh, well, a lot of people forget hospitality. We're in hospitality. What does that mean? Mm. Being hospitable, treat people right, treat people, make people. People come to our venues to forget their problems. People work Monday to Friday at a job. Most of them at a job they hate. Mm. They deal with a boss they can't stand. That they're making rich on their blood and sweat. They come out to our bars. The last thing they want is to be treated like an asshole. They want to be shown appreciation that they're there. They're spending the money they busted their ass to work all week for and giving it to you. The least you could do is thank them and make them feel appreciated for giving it to you. You're gonna make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> this is really good. Thank you, honey. All right, let's talk about quitting. Oh, I still partake. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so did you ever want to quit in the industry, in actually, the hospitality industry? Was there ever that time you're like, fuck this shit, I'm out? Believe it or not, I actually did quit it. You I, did? I quit it for a little over a year. Hmm. I um, started dating a girl. Okay. And at the time, I, I was feeling the pressure from, you know, society, my family, my culture, my parents. It's time to settle down, get married, have a family. It's hard to do in this industry. Uh, You really have to find that very understanding partner to be with somebody that is in the lifestyle we're in, as you know, personally. I know. So I met this girl, you know, I figured, okay, that's it. I'm going to marry this girl, spend the rest of my life with her. And I went into life insurance. You know, a friend of mine opened up an office. Wow. Yeah, so we, you know, I pretty much quit. All I was doing at that point was maybe a night or two here or there. I did. I was doing the Red Monkey, that yeah. stuff. So I did it for about a year and unfortunately didn't work out with me and the girl. Not really her fault. I'm the one who changed who I was. When she got with me, I was the person that I am now. Mm-hmm. I tried to change that person to be what I thought society wanted. Like, oh, I'm going to be a family guy. I can't be out at the bars till four in the morning. She started dating because I was fun. I was fun. I was partying. We we're having a good time. We we're going yeah. out. And now all of a sudden I'm like in bed by 11 because I got to be up at seven in the morning. You know, at the time, you know, I didn't think about it. You know, as we get older, get wiser, we look back and we see things. I changed the the, the deal that I had with her. I, I took the person that she fell in love with, fell in love with 
and pretty much erased him and replaced him with a freaking nerdy a robot. It mm-hmm. wasn't a fun person. It wasn't. That, I was miserable. I was snapping. I wasn't happy because I wasn't happy in the lifestyle, and it transcended into our relationship. But did the people in the circle that you were trying to satisfy, um, which included your parents and stuff, how were they feeling about this transition all of a sudden? Um, they supported it. Obviously, they were happy for it. They liked it. I mean, obviously, they were happy. Here I am with a you know nice girl, ready to settle down, ready to start the the, the family that they've always wanted. So they were very supportive at the time. You know. Unfortunately, the relationship didn't work out. The business didn't work out. That's a whole other story you'll probably read about or right. watch on American Greed. Mm-hmm. It was a crazy story. That's yeah. that's a whole interview in itself. Yeah. And um, office ended up closing. The relationship ended up out. I jumped right back into the business, you know, running. And it was actually, it was probably good because it gave me a huge break where I could recharge, refresh, and jump back into the business ready to go. Yeah. Like, like I hit the ground running at that point mm-hmm. where I, before I was just stagnant. I was, yeah, you were coasting almost. Right. I was in a routine. Mm-hmm. So by taking that year off, when I came back, I came extra hard, extra you know, strong, and I just led to where we are today. You know, you know you, like when you go on a vacation, you come right. back after a two-week vacation, you're completely clear. You're like, you're, you're, you're excited to go back to work. And people f- tend to forget how important vacation vacation time yes. is. And, and now, you know, in the entrepreneurship, you see this in the memes, work hard, sleepless nights. And granted, you're going to have that as an entrepreneur. I've experienced it. You've experienced it. However, I, I think um, showing uh, the unhealthy side of that and encouraging that unhealthy side is is not a good thing. I think that the, the rest of the recharge allows you to get reconnected and allows you to find focus again. Absolutely. I mean, to me and my own, thank God my partners are very... Uh, understanding of it. There was a, a period where once a month I took a week off. Yeah. I had to. And it, the reason for it was when I came back from that one week vacation, mm-hmm. I was a beast for the, the next two, three weeks. Whereas if I worked for six months straight without a vacation, by the fourth month, by the you know fifth month, mm-hmm. I'm not... I'm not nearly at 90%, but by taking that one week and I didn't miss work, I would go out of the, you know, state, whatever, Mm -hmm. and go like from like a Sunday to like Thursday, but Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to attend the meetings. I wouldn't be able to attend the the daily routine stuff. And they were okay with that. As long as I was able to function and function properly at the responsibilities when the doors were open. Right. And by taking that week off to recharge once a month made all the difference in the world for me. What is one of your most memorable vacations besides going to Greece all the time, see your family, (laughs) which I love. Again, all your photo albums are amazing. I mean, Greece is obviously the most amazing place on earth to me, but I'm biased. Mm. The most memorable vacation, the one that jumps to my mind right away, is when I had the gun to my head by the cartel in Mexico in a bathroom stall at a bar. Hold on a minute. He was in Mexico and was about to be shot in the face. Uh, This is beginning to sound like a really scary storyline to something that you think you'd only see in like the movies or something. All right, so my most memorable story on a vacation, unfortunately, is not a good memory. It's when I was in Cancun with one of my buddies. We went to one of the bars in the entertainment district, which is supposed to be a safe zone for tourists. We're at a table. We're having a blast, having a good time. We're we're, we're partying. We're drinking. We're doing shots. I go to the bathroom. At that time, the bouncer that was at our table would follow us to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, all right, he's doing it because he wants a tip. And every time he walked into the bathroom, I gave him a tip. And I was like, fuck, I'm running out of cash. Yeah. So at one point when he was distracted, I ran to the bathroom. That was my mistake. What? I go to the bathroom. As I'm going to the bathroom for the first time, when I would go with the bouncer, there was a little guy sitting in a chair at the bathroom. I just assumed he was a bathroom attendant. Looking back, he didn't have any toiletries at all. He didn't have any colognes, any uh, gum, any any uh, brushes or nothing. He was just on a chair sitting in the bathroom. The one time I went without the bouncer, the minute I got in the bathroom, he starts asking me, coca, coca, marijuana, trying right. to sell me drugs. I'm like, no, good, dude, I'm good, thank you very much. 
And I'm the kind of guy, if there's a lot of people around, I'm not going to urinate at a stall or at a, a mm-hmm. urinal. I want to go in the stall. Right. I want privacy. It's right. Like, you know, so there was a stall I went into, closed the door, urinated. As I walk out, he hits me up again. Go out, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, bro, I just, I am here to pee. Thank you. Yeah. You know, so I walk out, I go back to my table. For 45 minutes, 30 minutes later, I have to go to the bathroom again. We're drinking. You yeah. Know, it's 110 degrees in there. Yeah. I go to the bathroom again. He doesn't hit me up this time. He doesn't ask me if I want anything. I'm like, all right. I guess he rem- he got the hint that I'm not looking for that. Right. I go in the bathroom stall. As I'm urinating, literally midstream, mm-hmm. the door opens. Oh, my God. He pops in. Two bouncers come in with him in the stall while I'm in the bathroom peeing. Now, I'm in the stall with l- the little guy that was sitting in the chair and two monster bouncers. Get the fuck out of here. And they're like, you have drugs. And I'm like, I don't have drugs. What are you talking about? He's like, you're in here doing drugs. I'm, like, I'm in here peeing. My penis was in my hand when you walked in here. Oh, my God. And he's yelling at me saying I have drugs. And he's telling me, empty my pockets. I'm like, oh, that's what this is about. It's a shakedown. Yeah. I'm like, they're going to try to rob me. I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not giving you shit. I'm like, I'm here to pee. I'm here spending my money, having a good time. Get the hell out of my face. Just then, the door opens. A fourth guy comes in. Oh, my God. And he stands next to me and he's just grilling me. He's staring at me. He's mean mugging me. He's burning a hole in my head with his eyes. Oh, my God. I'm drunk at this time. And when I'm drunk, it's, you know, as you've seen on my Facebook post, sure. Drunk Alex is drunk a whole Alex. different asshole than me. Mm, mm, um, mm. He doesn't see the world. The rest of the world sees it as. As the argument's going on with me and the guy, he's he's like literally yelling at me. And he's slamming the toilet going, you have drugs. And I'm like, no. And I start saying, solamente pipi. And I'm putting my finger. <laughs> solamente. Oh, my yeah, God. And I'm putting my finger like a mock penis. Yeah. And yeah. Your, your listeners aren't going to be yeah. able to see this, but I want you to see this. Yes. And he's going, you have drugs. And I'm like, no, solamente pipi. No. And I'm doing this little dance where I move my <gasps> hips left and right. Yeah, yeah. Holding my finger like a mock penis. Yeah. Showing how you pee. Yeah. And he starts screaming. And at the point, I, I flip open the toilet seat. I'm like, look, the urine is... They go, oh, he said you flushed the toilet, the, the drugs yeah. down the toilet. I go, really? And I throw up the seat and I'm like, why is the urine still in there? Yeah. Just then, the guy to my left, the, the fourth guy that joined us, I feel something. I look over, he put a gun to my head. Oh my God, Alex. I'm so drunk at the time. I took my index finger and my middle finger. I moved the gun away. I looked at him, I go, stop that. <gasps> I said, stop that. What the hell was I thinking to say, stop that? What? About three seconds later, realization kicked in about what just happened. And I threw my hands in the air and I said, take whatever you want. They took my phone, my wallet. They started going through all my pockets. They went through all my credit cards. They went through uh, my uh, my bills. They, they checked every pocket. They checked my socks. They handed everything back to me and said, go. They were legitimately looking for me to have drugs on me. The fact that I didn't have drugs, they gave me my money, my phone and everything. It's like, get out. Get out of here. One of the most, and I went back to my table. I told them what happened. Now, my friend had to fly back a day early. So I was with his friends. I didn't know these guys. And I told these guys, I go, dude, I just had a gun in my head in the bathroom like shut up yo whatever yeah. they didn't believe me I'm like why the fuck would I lie about that yeah. I was so distraught they went to another bar I left got in the hotel, uh, cab and went back to the hotel flew home the next day oh my gosh it was I, I actually know what I, I take that back I did not fly back the next day I flew back two days later the next day we went down to the bar area again yeah. And I was, you know, talking to the people we knew from the, the hotel that we were in, the resort. And I was like, dude, this is this. I'm like, yeah, you got to be careful down there. I'm like, wait a minute. It's so common that you guys are just like blase about it. It wasn't a big deal to them. Like, yeah, that happens all the time. So that's my most memorable club experience. <sighs> wow. I think I want a shot after that. No, I I'm joking. I know. <laughs> no, no, no. Solamente pipi. <laughs> Solamente pipi. Um, Alex, I'm well, so sorry that happened no, to you. No, it's, it's insane. And honestly... I didn't realize how lucky I was to walk out of there. You read the stories about uh, bodies getting dumped on yeah. the, the highways yeah. and hanging from bridges. They could have killed me. And the basement, uh, the bathroom was in a basement. It wasn't even like where regular the, the bar was. Oh they could have smuggled my body out of there and nobody would have ever known what happened to me. I wasn't there with people I knew. These people would have just left and you know nobody would have ever known what happened to Alex. 
So the moral of the story is, if you're in a foreign country, go to the bathroom in Paris. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, when you came back to the States, what was that? Because that's a trauma. Oh, it was. What changed in you? I didn't go back to Mexico for a very long time, that's for sure. Right. And I vowed never to go back. But then I went on the Groove Cruise, and mm -hmm. one of the stops was there. And initially, I won't lie to you, when we got off in the port, I was terrified. Last time I was there, I had a gun in my head. It's like the only way to overcome a fear is to face it. Right. So me and Fahad, you know, mm -hmm. my baby. Yeah. We uh, <laughs> left the port, got in the car, went to, uh, it was Cascade. What an amazing performance yeah, that was. Yeah, yeah, Cascade. And uh, luckily I could say I had no issues, nothing. And, you know, I'm okay with Mexico again. I'm not by top of the list of places to visit, mm -hmm. especially with what's going on there now, unfortunately. But, yeah. you know, it's I don't blame everybody in Mexico for my experience. Right. And that, that's a, that's a really fair and, and genuine thing to say. Thank you. Uh, how did that emotionally change you? Um, it was a little humbling mm -hmm. to know that as, what's the word? I don't want to say cocky as, as, as confident as I am mm -hmm. that it could have all ended in an instant for no reason, just because I chose to urinate in a stall and not the urinal. I could have been gone and we wouldn't be sitting here now. Not this, this apartment, I never would have you know been mm -hmm. here. There would be no booze garden. Yeah. That one instant in that one bathroom stall could have changed my whole course of history. I wouldn't have had a history after that. It gave you a different perspective and I guess more of an appreciation. Absolutely. That, you know, life is fragile, as we all know, and, mm -hmm. you know, it could be gone at any moment. So yeah. live each moment to the fullest. And you, you said something to me earlier off uh, off audio um, where you said, you know, I can't, you can't take every, you can't take any of this with you. Right. And I had a perspective like that when I was living in L.A., and I was going through my divorce and I was in LA licking my wounds, just trying to get in, get, get my life back together and figuring out what my next move was going to be. And I went to the King Tut exhibit. I've been there. That's amazing. It was like $3 billion worth of just, I mean, it was amazing what they did back in the day. Yeah. Like you would never expect like, wow, how did they have the tools to do all this yeah. shit? Right. But what... I realized was the these people created all these jewels and, and created all of this uh, uh, from from clothes to jewels to carriages to all this stuff that they did because they said he's going to take it with him to right. his afterlife and I'm thinking and that that was the game changer for me. That's awesome. Where I'm like, you can't take any of this. I, I'm about moments now, and that's very important to me. Could you imagine if King Tut? We're somehow to be able to brought back to life today. Mm -hmm. And he sees that all his possessions have a bunch of mouth breathers just staring at it now. Like, like, like yeah. his stuff is on display for people to just come and look at it. Like, yeah. he'd probably kill everybody. But, you know, it's, yeah. just, it's amazing how he at the time was looked at as like a god. Right. And at the end of the day, just another person like you and me. Yeah. Just imagine that. Yeah. So I, I get that. I get that perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And like what you said with uh, you can't take it with you. For me, another... Uh, humbling experience, believe it or not, the pandemic. Up until the date of the lockdowns, mm -hmm. I lived my life where if I made $100, I spent 90 of it. Mm -hmm. And the reasoning was I can't take it with me. I can't take the money with me. And it's true. I, I don't have any kids. I don't have any, like when I go, this goes to my family. That's right. theirs, and I'm happy to give it to them. Right. I'm, I'm not here. I can't enjoy it. Let them enjoy it. But I always had the mentality that the industry we're in will always thrive. That you know, there's an old expression. When times are good, people drink. When times are bad, people drink more. Hmm. So I'm like, even if we go through a recession, we'll be fine. Never in a million years that I fathom that we would go through something where the whole planet shut down. Yeah. So because of that, I've been much, much better about my spending. I'm still enjoying myself. I'm still traveling. I'm still eating, you know, well. I'm still doing the, the pleasures in life. But I'm not buying a thousand things on Amazon like I used to, mm -hmm. you know, and not care. As I say that, a freaking fingerprint door. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I know. It was like Christmas when right. I walked in here. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, uh, for uh, the people listening, as I walked the Italian, I guess I missed the Amazon Prime guy. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't remember I was drunk. I bought a doorknob that has a fingerprint 
reader on it because, you know, yeah, I don't know why, but I guess I'm going to have to do that. Uh, yeah, this looks pretty cool. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it does look a little uh, daunting as far as daunting. installing it. <laughs> All right, let's talk about uh, what you have invested in with the income that you had made because, uh, you know, obviously there are other areas of business that you have invested in, right? So as you were moving through and becoming very successful, being this promoter now turned nightclub owner and you're seeing, you know, income from that and you're, you're doing well, but now you have a beer. Yes. Now you have, you know, and again, we were talking about this as far as your uh, influence factor, which I think is just incredible. You have food named after you on menus throughout bars here in South Florida. And obviously it's because of the experiences that you were able to create. How did you even get involved in, in getting a, all the food, you know, the, the recipes and all these, the, the food named after you basically a, and then B the beer right. and how, uh, you looked into the investment of that. So let's talk about the food first. Okay. The food started, believe it or not, uh, Tuan, you know, Tuan mm-hmm. owns a bunch of shoes. He was a pokey Lolo. He's opening up another, uh, I think it's Miso. It was supposed to be Miso Hungry. I don't know if he's going to go with that Miso one, but I hungry. love that name. <laughs> uh, Tuan has been very successful in everything he's done. He started as a bartender and mm-hmm. a business owner now. One of my best friends in the world. Love him with all my heart. He did a Red Monkey uh, role. Mm-hmm. Red Monkey, for those that don't know, is the promotional company that me and my good friend Johnny Adler have. Mm-hmm. And basically, we do parties at different bars, different venues, different countries. We did a, a trip to Costa Rica where we brought 50 people with us. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that? We, we, yeah we I was trying out, to go. That was amazing. <laughs> we bought out two hotels. Mm-hmm. We did pool parties. It was fun as hell. So when Tuan opened, he he put the Red Monkey roll on the menu. So I was sitting there one night and he's like, you got to try a new roll that I made. And he brought it out and it was amazing. I don't remember everything that was in it, but it was topped with seared prime rib. Oh God. And I was like, you need to name that the Pasacos roll. Totally kidding. Yeah. He did it. Wow. He named it the Pasacos roll. It went on the menu. It was the most popular thing on the menu. I promoted the shit out of it, obviously, because my name's on it. Right. So other business owners were like, well, you know, come here, we'll do one of your food items and you promote it as well. So I don't want to put my name on just anything. It's got to be something that I would order when I walked into that venue. Yeah. I, when I walked into Tuan's place, I ordered that roll because it was so good. So uh, one of the places, Wilton Wings, mm-hmm. my friend, my good friend Gary owns it. One of my best friends, love him with all my heart. He yeah. was there for me during the pandemic at one of my low points. You know, that guy, he can have a kidney tomorrow if he wants it. Yeah, Gary's great. I love him. He uh, he just opened up GastroTech, which is crushing it. That place is amazing. I it's, had not been there. You have to go get the octopus. His, uh, his head chef, Gaston, yeah. has some of the most tender, delicious octopus I've ever tasted anywhere. It's really? Amazing. Yeah, you got to try it. And you mm, know I love octopus. I know. Yeah. So uh, Wilton Wings, we were trying to come up with a flavor for the Pasacos flavor. So me and him sat at a corner table and we had the kitchen. He had like maybe 15 different ingredients. And we tried every combination from two to five on each wing of those ingredients. So the, think about it. That's like countless possibilities. Right. We finally ended up agreeing on hot, uh, extra wet, powdered garlic, lemon pepper, and grilled. Mm. And it's phenomenal. I mean, the grill just adds such a flavor to it. Yeah. He put it on his menu and it's his bestseller. Oh it's gosh. literally the bestseller. Yeah, like people that never, and he says that people try to order it. It's hilarious. <laughs> Let me get them Pesachuses. Pesachuses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, if I'm going to endorse it, like again, back to Billy Mays, it's yeah. got to be what I would order. It's got to be something I would enjoy or I'm not going to tell you to try it. Why am I going to have you try something I won't try? Mm. So then, you know, a couple other restaurants have added me to the menu. That's a, a long list. I mean, I'd love to, I'll give it to you if you want. Please. I'd love that to give those guys that have given me opportunities some love back. So that's how we did, you know, the food process. Mm -hmm. And I kind of incorporated that into the beer. I was hanging out with Ehab at his place. He has Holy Mackerel Brewing, which uh, small batch beers in Wilton Manors, which great place if you haven't been there. The food is amazing. The atmosphere, everything about the place. And they have some amazing beers too. The Panic Attack is delicious. Gosh, everything there is really good. Which by the way, my band Pandia plays there once a month. (laughs) Another great reason to go there. Another great reason. 
So I'm sitting with Ehab once, and I'm like, hey, dude, I think I want to expand into the beer market. Let's make up a Sacco's beer. I was probably 50, 60% kidding. Like, I loved the idea. I didn't think he'd go for it. Mm-hmm. He called my bluff. He's like, let's do it. Like, shit. Okay, I guess we're doing it. So the way I went about it was like, all right, what kind of beer do I like? So I got one of every kind of beer, blonde ale, stout, uh, you know, pale ale, whatever. Mm-hmm. Tried them all. I'm like, right. all right, I think if I was going to drink multiple beers a night, like I love IPAs. IPAs are amazing. Mm-hmm. Sour beers are delicious. I have one, two, and that's it. I can't go more. Mm-hmm. Too sugary, too bitter, whatever the reasoning is. And I, you know, our Coca-Colas never came. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just realized Gosh that, right? Foods. Damn. So um, I decided I'm going to do a, a blonde ale. It was between a blonde ale and a golden ale. I wanted to go with blonde. So then I was like, all right. I went out and I bought over 40 different types of blonde ales. Then I created a spreadsheet on what I liked about each of them. I had like different columns like initial color, the initial taste, the initial smell, the aftertaste, how full I felt from it, how many I, sips I could take before I didn't enjoy it anymore. Did I look forward to the next sip? And I would rank it from one to five on each of them. And I had like 15 columns. So I consolidated all my data. Then I took the same spreadsheet and I grabbed a diverse panel of like four or five people, mm-hmm. a male that's not in the business, a female that's not in the business, a bartender, a male bartender, a female bartender, like different people mm-hmm. so I can get perspective of the regular person and a perspective of somebody in the industry. Right. And I had them do the same thing I did and write down what they liked about each one and rank it. I crunched those numbers, compared it to mine. Ultimately, I wanted to go with my feeling, but I wanted to see what the public wanted as well. Right. Took the data, went to Ehab, I go, give this to the brewmaster, this is what I'm looking for. And they made like two or three batches and I'm like, on the fourth one, they nailed it perfectly. Like the first one was great. I'm like, this little tweak here. A little tweak. I'm like, all right, that affected this. So we have to change this now because I didn't realize how much went into brewing a beer. Wow. It's a, it's way above my pay grade. We'll just put it that way. It's wow. like, it's a, it's a science. It's an art form. Mm. And I think it was on the fourth, third or fourth batch. They nailed it. I'm like, this is perfect. This is the, if I had to have a last beer in my life, that's the one I want you. And how did you, uh, so obviously you invested in that with Ehab. So your partner's on the beer and now they're canning the beer from what I understand. Right. So, uh, with the canning of the beer, the way we want to do it, the, the big thing for me too is labels. Right. People, you know, we're visual humans. I like if, if you can't judge a book by its cover, but I might pick up a book based on its cover mm. over the one next to it that has a shitty cover. Right. The beers are the same. When I was in Greece, there was a, a melon beverage that I never in a million years would have bought, but the package was cool. I think you posted something about that. It, yeah. it was a see-through package that looked like a two-liter bottle, but it was like small. Right. And it, I could see the liquid. I'm like, this looks refreshing. I bought it. I posted it. I shared it. Thousands of people saw it mm-hmm. because of the package. Mm. It could have been piss in there right. and I wouldn't have known, but the package is what made me buy it. Mm-hmm. So we commissioned local artist, uh, Nivea, Wild yeah. Hippie, yeah. to do the artwork. And uh, we, because it's holy mackerel, we went with the name Holy Pasakos. Incredible. So in order to do uh, something holy, we went to Greek mythology. <laughs> so Nivea used the inspiration from uh, Clash of the Titans, <laughs> the visual image of uh, Perseus holding Medusa's head with the Pegasus in the background. She painted me as Perseus wearing mm-hmm. the toga and everything, right. made me look buff, which I really appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> that Nivea. And, oh, she's so good to me. <laughs> and her. instead of Medusa's head, I'm holding a Pasako's beer. Yeah. And in the background, the Pegasus is my buddy, my best friend, the dog Rocky. Oh. So the mini schnauzer is the, the Pegasus in the really? background. Really? Hell, I got a beer can right here. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. So he's getting the beer can right now. And again, we'll, uh, we're going to be posting all the links of all of, of, of all of these great things that Alex is doing, which is just incredible. Yeah. See? Wow. You have a great hairy armpit here, too. You know, that's the first thing people notice. And I'm like, God damn it, Nivea, you couldn't trim me a little. But you know what? It shows my manliness. It my does. Musk. That's my musk. Your musk. Look at this can. Yeah. That is real. Look at that. Oh, the artwork is amazing. And then the graphic designers that he had mm-hmm. fill in the empty space. Because right. the original painting was just me with the dog. Right, right. The backgrounds and all that, mm-hmm. that was the designer that he had brought in who were amazing. Oh, look at Rocky. Rocky's so awesome. Oh. 
Oh that dog's God. famous. He's been in the newspaper. I, mean, I know. Uh, I love Rocky. I was best. hoping to meet him here today. And you said he's not here today. I was like, this interview would have never happened if he was here. Oh gosh, he's, he, he would have taken it over. <laughs> yeah. And so the uh, the only way that they can is that people can get this beer is if they go to Holy Mackerel. Or no, no, no. Right now it's in keg form. Okay. It's in multiple venues. Uh, right now we have it in uh, Lucky's and a bunch of local bars. Right now, actually, I can't name them all because it's too many. I'll give right. you. I'll give you the list. Yes, please. But it's in a bunch of local bars on draft. It's getting canned right now. It should be uh, in stock hopefully in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be in a ton of bars down here, restaurants, mm-hmm. uh, nightclubs, and even some convenience stores are carrying it. Right. A couple of 7-Elevens that my friends own have agreed to uh, carry it for me, which I really appreciate these guys. These guys are amazing. So, the support. So from vision to fruition, how long did this process take you? Um, it's tough to say how long it would have taken because we had the whole shutdown. Right. That affected us drastically. Without that, I mean, it's a couple months, but the, it's a back and forth process. It's a non-stop. It's not like you say, all right, here's the beer, put it out there. It has mm-hmm. to get approved. It has to go FDA or whatever it is. The, mm-hmm. Is it FDA? No, that's drug. Food that's and drug. Yeah, food and drug. drug. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's because people are consuming it, it's a million like loopholes. Not loopholes, uh, hoops you have to jump through okay. to make it happen. And I don't have the patience to do it. Thank God they did. Mm-hmm. That's their department. So Right. And that's e- so Ehab. Uh, Ehab did all that. Him he and his, did all that. Him okay. and the people that work for him handled all that. My job is to make sure you try it. Hopefully right. you like it. Hopefully you buy it. Again, it's a powerful influencing and in seeing now uh, products being named after you and you have all these influencers right now on social media who are like, try this, try that. Like even myself, you know, I, I can influence people and I, I also carry the same um, ideology and respect for the things that I do endorse. If I endorse something, it's because it's something I believe in because I'm always asked all the time to endorse things. Right. Um, I Where I get my Botox at, I'm going to tell you where I get my Botox <laughs> at because, you know, I, I believe in the work that these people are doing and I also believe in supporting local businesses businesses. Oh, absolutely. Just like uh, Kevin, Remedy Remedy IV. Remedy, that's right. Remedy IV. Anytime I'm hungover, he (laughs) saves my life. Yeah. I mean, they they come to your house, they put a needle in your arm, they pump you full of fluids and you're good to go within 10 minutes. Really? Do you you really feel that way? It is. It's not a placebo effect. I'll tell you, it works. It's, you know, it's not cheap. It's not for everybody. Right. It's like a hundred and something dollars to get it, but they come to your door, you sit on your living room. Because for me, if I'm hungover, I'm not getting out of my house, getting in my car and driving to a place. I can't. I'm hungover. Right. I, I don't even want to open my eyes yet alone drive mm-hmm. the fact that they come to your house and pretty much revive you for you it's a, you can't put a price on that yeah it's, it's like amazing. an IV concierge yeah and they, I mean they do a lot more than that they have a they're a full service place they do everything there yeah. I mean from exosome shots to you know everything uh, yeah if you ever need anything that's yeah. a nice place to go to Aww. have you been there's new office yeah. offices yeah he lives yeah. he lives yeah. his uh, office is right around the corner from where I live it's in Boatyard uh, yeah. Plaza, yeah it's super fantastic yeah. so residual income is that something that is in your life Unfortunately, no. And it should have been because of the health insurance business, right. that's the biggest um, plus of that industry. You get a bonus when you sign someone up for health insurance or life insurance and every month that they pay it, mm-hmm. you get a, a, a residual income. Right. So it's a great industry. Anybody that's looking for a, a job, actually Fahad has three offices now. I think he's opening a fourth. Oh, I'm so so any, proud of him. Oh, he's the best. Mm-hmm. Anybody with a 215 license looking for work, let me yeah. know. Uh, he's, he's looking to expand. But unfortunately, when we were doing business, it was all getting written under somebody else. Mm-hmm. I didn't get to see a penny of any residuals. Right. So if you can get into a business with residual income, definitely recommend it because you're for life. It's it, you always have income coming in. That's true. Yeah, that's true. We're getting through this. What's something most people misunderstand about you? Uh, that probably goes back to what we talked about earlier. Everybody thinks it's all fun and games. It's all one big party. That it's all traveling, drinking, uh, eating great food, and you know, just that it's all glamour. And that's because of social media. That's all they see. Right. What they don't see is the countless meetings, the the countless conference calls, the arguments with your partners, the the dealing with the city, the the 
getting permits. I mean, there's a billion things that go into opening that door for one night of business. And people don't see that. So the, the biggest, I wouldn't say misunderstanding or misconception is that it's a nonstop party and it's just all fun and games. That's the payoff, but you have to work to get to that payoff. And they don't know that it, that it, there's a lot that goes into making the magic happen that you see when you get there at that at 10, 11 o'clock at night. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. There's it's it, it, there, it, it really does. I mean, it, I remember you said that it could take up to like maybe $3,000 just to open the door. Yeah, I worked at a nightclub. If you, by the time you paid for, if you fact, they're not even factoring rent, uh, insurance, electricity, water bills. You have to pay your security, your DJ, your waitresses, your, uh, you know, your bus boys. When I worked at a Dutch, Certain huge nightclub, three thousand dollars was what it cost from scratch. You open that door, you were already down three grand. So if it was a rainy weekend, you're screwed. Say you book a ten thousand dollar DJ, mm-hmm. and it pours that night, you just lost you know fifteen thousand dollars that night. Right. And when people would come to the club and be like, "Oh, you want me to pay three hundred dollars for a bottle that cost you thirty dollars?" I was like, "No, no, you're mistaken, my friend. Mm-hmm. That bottle, you could go buy it right now for thirty dollars. But for me to put it in your hand, it cost me three thousand. And like, how so? And from what I just explained to you, all the production, all the money that went into making this venue desirable enough for you to come here and spend the 300 on a $30 bottle. That's where all the money went into. And you know what? I, I don't think I've ever heard a, a club owner describe it this way, this eloquently and, okay. and this honestly. Thank you. I wish I could take credit for it. Uh, mm-hmm. The one who taught me that, believe it or not, Ehab. Well, of course Ehab. Ehab. Of course. And Ehab better be listening to this podcast. Well, if not, we'll just send him this clip. And, uh, we will. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, let me ask you this one last question. I want to ask you this because then there's other questions I can ask you when I come back. Okay, so Alex, what is the most important thing you learned about life? I think that probably goes back to what we said earlier, that we can't take it with us and that it could be over in a minute. It's, uh, you know, it's a comedian said it best. I can't remember who it is. I want to give him credit. If I remember, I'll let you know so you can edit in later. He said that this is your life, that life does not have a dress rehearsal. This is your one shot at it. If there's something you want to do, if there's something you want to be, if there's something you want to see, something you want to accomplish, do it now. There's not going to be opportunities after this. This is your one life. There's no dress rehearsal. The credit from that last quote can be given to the infamous Joe Rogan. Well, it's Nadia Natalia. And that was our exclusive interview with entrepreneur, club and restaurant owner and social media influencer, Mr. Alex Pasakos. Now, with his interview, of course, I had a ton of outtakes, which I had to edit out and are hysterical. And you can only hear them if you sign up to be part of our community online right now at mmofadj.com. We will email them to you and you will love them, guaranteed. Of course, any feedback that you have from this or any other episode of the podcast, well, I want to hear from you too. It was great to finally sit down with Alex Pasakos and Chad as he was so awesome to talk to. And I hope you enjoyed the interview as much as I did producing it. Now, since Mastermind of a DJ podcast is an alliance with Vixen's Cabaret and Groove Cruise, the lineup of interviews from some of the biggest names in dance music is massive and we want you to be part of the conversation. Now, I'm producing them as quickly as I can, so make sure you turn on your automatic downloads for all of our shows on all of your podcast platforms so you don't miss any of them. Now, the month of November promises to be filled with sweet EDM events that you won't want to miss at Vixen's Cabaret, like DJ Laz on November 24th and Damaged Goods returning to rule the decks on November 26th. It'll be no excuse not to work off that turkey dinner by dancing. So you can call them now for table reservations at 954-649-5795. All right, fam, thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next week with my final exclusive interview that completes season one with none other than 
Ferry Corsten. Please be good to yourselves and each other. Thank you for listening to the Mastermind of a DJ podcast with Naughty Natalia. Follow us on our social media handles at Mastermind of a DJ or log online at mmofadj.com. Get into the minds.